Welcome to this podcast from Neurogastroenterology and Motility. It publishes original research and topical reviews on basic and clinical aspects of gastrointestinal sensation and motility, as well as brain-gut interaction. So welcome everyone to this month's podcast from Neurogastroenterology and Motility. My name's Adam Farmer and I'm a gastroenterologist at the Wingate Institute in London. This month is my great pleasure to welcome Dr. Arjan Brednord. His current position is at the Department of Gastroenterology at the Medical uh, Centre in Amsterdam. His primary research focus is on esophageal physiology and pathophysiology, on which he has published in excess of 150 chapters, papers rather, and several book chapters. So Arjun, many thanks for joining us on the podcast today, and congratulations to you and your co-authors on your paper entitled Diagnostic Yield of 24-Hour Esophageal Manometry in Non-Cardiac Chest Pain. So if I could start, could you give us some background to the clinical entity that we know as Non-Cardiac Chest Pain? Thank you, Adam. Um, we refer to non-cardiac chest pain when there is a midline chest pain or discomfort that's not of burning quality to differentiate it from heartburn. And it has uh, not been diagnosed before as due to ischemic heart disease. Um, so these are patients with uh, discomfort or pain. Often they're scared because they don't know what are causes of their pain. And um, it's quite typical that the pain comes in attacks. So it's not constantly present, but uh, it comes and goes. It can be very invalidating and frightening to the patient. And a positive diagnosis is very helpful. So the patients, they, um, you need a diagnosis as an explanation for the symptoms of the patient and also as a starting point for treatment. So um, what are the putative pathophysiological mechanisms that give rise to symptoms in this uh, uh, patient group with non-cardiac chest pain? So our data shows that about 30% of these patients has gastroesophageal reflux disease and another 8% has so-called hypersensitive esophagus. So they, in these patients, reflux is also the cause of their symptoms, but they don't have excessive amount of reflux. Now, the biggest bulk of patients, uh, 50%, has functional pain. So that means that we don't know what the causes of their symptoms. And 7% of the patients has um, esophageal spasms. So similar to other functional disorders, we don't know what really the cause is in the, um, about half of the patients with non-cardiac chest pain. Yeah, this is something we've studied in our own lab in London and found certainly that many of these patients have um, the personality trait of neuroticism particularly is overrepresented in, in this group. So you mentioned a little bit about esophageal spasm. So why does standard high-resolution manometry fail to pick up motor abnormalities in the standard clinical workup that we would use uh, uh, in secondary care? It's one of the reasons... Is probably because the pain comes in attacks and between uh, these attacks there's no pain now the chance that a patient will have an attack during the 30 minutes lasting stationary manometry is really small that's one explanation also the diagnostic criteria for spasms have become rather strict according to the um, Chicago classification 3.0 and while three out of four patients with spasm on ambulatory manometry have some kind of abnormality on HRM, 
this this didn't classify as a spasm according to this uh, the newest version of the Chicago classification. So, what were the objectives of your study? Well, ambulatory manometry is not widely available, and it's not often performed. We wanted to investigate the additional value of ambulatory manometry to the workup of um, these patients with HRM and ambulatory pH impedance monitoring. And what were the uh, characteristics of your patients in your, your study and how did, what methods did you use to go about uh, studying these patients? So we studied patients with non-cardiac chest pain. Uh, these patients previously underwent a negative cardiac and GI workup, all tried PPI before, and we studied these patients with stationary HRM and ambulatory manometry pH impedance monitoring. And then we investigated what the additional yield was of the ambulatory manometry in comparison with all the other investigations. And how long was your ambulatory manometry? 24 hours, okay. approximately. And what were the key results then to come out of your, your study in this patient group? Well, in four of the 59 patients that were studied, mm -hmm. ambulatory manometry identified spasms as the cause of their symptoms. This is uh, not a very large proportion but for these patients, it's a really important finding. Also, as I just mentioned, in about 50% of the patients, it was concluded they suffered from functional chest pain, which is also a very important finding. Uh, and what were the limitations of your study, do, do you think? Well, the study was retrospective, and uh, hence it's subject to bias. Also, um, bias because of the information uh, collection, from um, the electronic patient records, but also referral bias may be significant as the study population are all from our center, which is a tertiary referral clinic. So what do you think are the take home messages for, for clinicians um, in, you know, coming from both your study and, and, and as a whole? Well, I think there's two, two very important messages. One is in case of non-cardiac chest pain, consider referring for ambulatory manometry pH impedance monitoring and the two is findings of uh, on HRM such as repetitive contractions and rapid contractions are now um, in Chicago 3 not classified as abnormal but they may be an indicator of spasms. And taking that slightly one step further if spasms are found what do you find in your own clinical practice is the best way to treat these patients, what uh, pharmacotherapeutics do you personally use? If we have um, a stepwise uh, plan for treatment, first we uh, try with um, calcium antagonists or and or um, nitrates. It depends a bit if the patients have very rare symptoms, sometimes um, nitrate uh, sublingual or um, a spray is very helpful if their symptoms are more pre um, more prevalent. Sometimes a, um, a slow release formulation is better. If this doesn't work, we try Botox. And in um, very rare cases, we have performed endoscopic myotomy. But I must admit that the symptoms of the um, results of that technique are um, not successful to all. 
Okay. Have you ever tried sildenafil in these patients at all? There are a few reports uh, from Mark um, Fox regarding this. Yes, I've tried it in once only. The problem with this drug is that it's not uh, reimbursed, um, not for this indication or other indications. That makes it um, uh, quite expensive to the patient. Yes, so. no, that's that's my experience here in, in the UK as well. So. Just summing up, where do you think the knowledge gaps lie uh, in the field of non-cardiac chest pain at the moment and how can we begin to resolve these as we move forward? I think the biggest knowledge gap, the biggest problem is the patients with the functional chest pain. So we have no clues as to what causes their symptoms. We only have, uh, well there are some indications but um, basically we don't know and there's hardly any data showing how to treat these patients so i think more pathophysiological research into the mechanism peripheral and central would be very helpful as well as um, uh, trials investigating the treatment for these conditions super so thank you for that and, and with that i'd like to thank both you and your co-authors for a really excellent paper uh, as well pleasure, as ass- assisting in this month's podcast and also to our listeners for for tuning in And I look forward to welcoming you for another instalment next month. Further information about this paper can be found on the journal website. We hope that you have enjoyed this podcast and we look forward to welcoming you.